0: aren't you thankful that today is one more opportunity to praise the Lord? We're not promised that tomorrow's going to get here. We're not, we're not promised next Sunday's going to be here. This, this could be. This could be for all of us the last Sunday that we'll ever have. It could be the last Sunday for, for one person. Uh, but Now, we need to make sure we thank the Lord for every opportunity. For every one more opportunity that we have to praise Him. Now, as much as I'm, I'm planning to be here next Sunday, by the way. Al, you are too, right? Next Sunday we're going to be here. Uh, we're planning to be here. Uh, we don't have to wait till next Sunday to praise the Lord every day. Every day is an opportunity to praise the Lord. Numbers count, don't they? One more opportunity, numbers count. And you know, numbers are important in the church. I wanna, I'm talking today about ministry math. You may wonder, what in the world is ministry math? I tell you, I'm a little nervous talking about it because math was not my best subject in school, I'm going to tell you. And so today we're talking about ministry math One of the professors over at Southeastern Seminary has written an article about the importance of numbers in the church because in the church, numbers are important. Here's what Professor Chuck Lawless says. He says, numbers are a means of evaluating progress and success. When we look at the numbers related to the church... It helps us to evaluate. Secondly, he says, decreased numbers should drive us to prayer and asking hard questions. What's going on if the numbers aren't where they were? What's going on if the numbers aren't where we feel like they should be? Based on our church, based on our membership, based on our community. And thirdly, he says, increased numbers should lead us to rejoicing and encouragement. Don't you like rejoicing? Rejoicing is good. Uh, Numbers are important in the church especially in the book of Acts. There's lots of, of numerical, mathematical uh, uh, wording in the book of Acts. Let me invite you to stand with me this morning. We're looking at Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. I've, I've preached the first part of Acts chapter 6 many times as the foundation of deacon ministry, which many believe it is, me included. But as I studied this passage of Scripture, I felt felt the need to to go in a little bit different direction today uh, on this passage of Scripture. And so today we're looking at Acts chapter 6. We're looking at the topic of ministry math. I want you to listen for words that relate to math as we read through this passage of Scripture. For example, verse 1. Now in the days when the disciples were increasing in number... Did you ever notice that? There it is, math. In the days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers... These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, there's a math word, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly, there's a math word, in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Our Heavenly Father today, as we think about math terms, as we think about the importance of numbers In the Scriptures, in the book of Acts, and in the 6th chapter of the book of Acts, as we think about numbers as they relate to the church, as we think about mathematical formulas that we see in the Scriptures, and, and the importance of numbers to the church because numbers are important to You. Lord, ultimately the number one is important to You because each of us is created in your image. Each of us is made to know Christ as Savior. Each of us was created for eternal life in heaven with you. So Lord, make us mindful, yes, numbers are important, but the one is always important. Lord, take the time that we have today and take the Scripture that we're about to work our way through and use it for your glory that Ridgecrest Baptist Church may continue to be a church where members and numbers of people are added and multiplied into the body of Christ for the glory of our Savior Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right, please be seated. So numbers are important in the church. Acts here and other places in Acts, besides chapter 6, highlight mathematical wordings and formulations, and it demonstrates the use of what I'm going to call ministry math. So I'm going to ask two questions today, uh, and the questions are this. How are we as a church, how are we as a church adding up? I like to see there's the math word, right? How are we as a church adding up to what God has called us to be? Think about that for a second. I'm not going to ask you to respond out loud, but just be thinking about that this morning. How are we as a church adding up to what God has called us to be? And more specifically, how are you? And for me, how am I? How am I adding up to the person, to the Christian, to the church member that God has called me to be? Because these are important questions. Because the church is important to God. The church is the body of Christ. The church is important to God. The church is also important to its members. And as as we are working our way through the book of Acts, we're reminding ourselves continually, as Bobby Long pointed out just before the offertory prayer this morning, we're continually being reminded that we are, each of us, as we know Jesus, we're called to live life on mission for the gospel. Life on mission for the gospel. So let's look at several math phrases that we find in the book of Acts, specifically here in Acts chapter 6. The first math phrase we're going to look at, and don't get nervous. If you're like me and math isn't your favorite subject, uh, I promise there's not going to be a test at the end, okay? So the first math term is the word subtraction. Subtraction. We find subtraction in the book of Acts and other places in the Scripture. And as it relates to the church, we could say subtraction occurs in the church when members are removed or choose to remove themselves. Subtraction occurs in a church when members either are removed or choose to remove themselves. In, in, In churches in the United States, there are several categories of numbers that as a whole across our country the numbers are down because subtraction is taking place in the church across America in these days in which we live. Membership in the church is down. Baptisms in the church are down. Giving in the church is down. Attendance of people going to church is down. Subtraction is a reality in the day and time in which we live. I wish I didn't have to say that, but the reality of the church age in which we live is that subtraction is taking place. Churches are losing members by subtraction at an alarming rate. In Acts chapter 5, just a couple of weeks or so ago, we talked about uh, an, an act of subtraction in the church using Ananias and Sapphira, you remember Ananias and Sapphira well, listened to Satan in regards to, to a giving towards the church. They listened to Satan, they lied to God, and they were judged by God and removed from the church. There's two, two acts of subtraction there. We also see in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 19 a statement about some people that, that made their way into the church and then they wound up leaving the church. And, the, and the, the result is that just because somebody is physically present doesn't mean that they're spiritually alive. Amen. Y'all, rec- y'all recognize that, right? Just because you're present in a church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being present at McDonald's makes you a Big Mac. Right? You with me? <laughs> so it's not just where you are, it is what you are. And so in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, John is writing and he says to the church there, they, these are those people that they came in, they stayed a while and they decided to leave. Here's what he says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us of us. So there are folks that they may come in, they may come, just because somebody leaves the church doesn't mean they're not a Christian. Understand that. But in the day and time in which this was written, is making the point that there are people that may come in, they may be curious, they may have questions, and then ultimately they decide, the gospel is not for me. So I'm not going to hang around anymore. That's what was going on here. So subtraction is one of those mathematical terms that we see in the scriptures and in the book of Acts. I also want to point out the second one, and that is Division. Division is another word that we see mathematically in the Scriptures and in the book of Acts. And let me say it this way. Division occurs when issues separate members of the church from one another, often leading to subtraction. <laughs> division, division is when issues separate church members that can often lead to subtraction in the church. Now let me talk to you about Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. We read this Scripture a moment ago. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number. Now think about that. The church is growing. Things are happening. In, in, in the days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. There were two groups in the church. that There was a division between them. They were at odds with each other. They, 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 there was something happened between them. And, and we're reminded that divisions in churches Three things are important about recognizing a division in a church. One is that divisions often come in times of increase in the church. Oftentimes, the Bible reports it, history reports it, some of the greatest church divisions have come at times of the greatest growth in the church. Many different reasons why. We won't get into those today. But but understand division often comes in times of growth. And then understand this, divisions in the church can often stop growth on a dime. A church can be growing and reaching its community and a division arises, people take sides and growth stops and then uh, then thirdly, we recognize this, that divisions can prevent future growth. A division can arise in a church that prevents that church from continuing to reach out to others. That was the the temptation. That was the opportunity here in in Acts chapter 6 and and I'm reminded of, of, of complaints. Most divisions start as a complaint. Now, let me let me just let's be clear. Is it wrong to complain about a justifiable action taking place in a church? Is it wrong to complain? No, it's not wrong to complain. It's never wrong to complain about something that you need to complain about. It's not what you do. It's how you do it. That's the biblical, biblical thing that we see here. What are some typical church complaints? I was, I've asked around, as I've known I've been preaching, uh, I was going to preach this message this past week. I was at the Baptist State Convention where all of our churches from across North Carolina gather. And I'm just asking some friends of mine, what are some things people complain about in your church? Now, none of these come from Ridgecrest. I understand that. <laughs> I said, what do people complain about in your church? Here's, some, here's a brief list of things that, that people told me. Here's what they complain about at our church. The schedule, the music, the money, The programs, the staff, the pastor. Don't say amen. (laughs) The air condition. (laughs) But ultimately, several guys all told me the same thing. What do people complain about your church? And what was said to me more often than not is change. Change in the church often leads to the biggest complaints in the church. Somebody wrote a book about this several years ago. I forget the name of the book. how oh, you may remember. but the, the, I forget the, the author, but the name of the book was The Seven Last Words of the Church. And the premise of the book is that when you say these words, you're on your way out the door. Your church is going to die. The seven last words of the church, according to this book, are these. We've never done it that Y'all have read that book. We've never done it that way before. So, so complaints may well be justified. So it's not what you do, it's how you do it, how you complain. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10 says this, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you agree, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment understand that's important that there be no divisions and that you be united now now let me ask you this question real quick just look around at the people in this room go ahead and do that just turn your head look around there are there's there's enough people in this room do you know how much how hard it is to get agreement in a crowd this size do you know how hard it is to get agreement just in this section here in the middle They couldn't figure out if they want to sit on the right-hand side or the left-hand side. So so it's hard to get a decision and hard to get unity. And listen, you look out in the parking lot. There's Fords. There's Chevys. There's Dodges. There's Toyotas. There's Hondas. There's Kias. There's there's, you name it. There's cars out in the parking lot. Different varieties. You talk about can't get unity. Don't bring up the football teams in the area, right? But listen, let me tell you something. All those things are fine. If we're divided on those things, it's okay. But the thing that unites us is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we may drive different cars, we may have different styles, we may do this different than others, but the thing that unites us, the thing that Paul is writing about here is is that we be united and be in the same mind and the same judgment because of the gospel. That's division. We're, We're called not to have division, but we're called to have unity in the gospel. Thirdly, I want to point out to you because I, I want to get to number four. That's where I got the most time this morning. But but number four, the third math addition, uh, the third math word is addition. The third math word that we see here is addition. Addition occurs in a church when individual people are added to its membership. When individual people come into the membership of the church, one plus one plus one plus one plus one. That's addition people brought into the church. A couple of weeks ago, here at Ridgecrest Baptist Church, we voted to add 26 new members into the fellowship of Ridgecrest Baptist Church. Somebody say amen to that this morning? That's a good thing, right? All right. Acts 2.47 says, The Lord added to their number, added, day by day those who were being saved. I love that verse of Scripture because it mentions some things that are important. It mentions just simply day by day. It wasn't just on Sundays, it wasn't just on special occasions, but as people lived out their normal life, going to their jobs, living in their home, playing on their team, going out to social events, as people went about their lives day by day, they were living for Jesus, they were sharing their faith, and God was blessing and adding people to the church. Acts 5.14 More than ever, believers were added to the Lord... Both men and women. Acts 6.1, the disciples were increasing in number. Acts 11.24, a great many people were added to the Lord. Understand that when people, when the members of the church, you and I, when we determine that just simply day by day, we're going to live out our faith, we're going to look for opportunities we're going to identify our one and pray and look for an open door. We're going we're to pray over our meal. We're going to pray with somebody uh, when they say they're having a hard time. We're going to, to ask people and invite them to come to our church with us. We're going to we're look for avenues to get them into a connect group. We're going to look for ways to say, can I tell you my story and what the Lord has done in my life? We're going to do all those things, and the Lord is going to use that to add to the church day by day. I love that phrase. Addition. Now, fourthly, and where I want to spend the most time today is the, is the phrase or the word multiplication. Multiplication. I want to talk to you for a few minutes today primarily about being a multiplying church. What is a multiplying church? A multiplying church is a church that, that uh, has multiples of people come into the church. A church that experiences multiples of people coming into the church. Addition is great. Addition is better than subtraction. Amen. Addition is better than division. Amen? But what we see in the Scripture is God's desire for the church, the church, every church, is to multiply, to have the greatest impact in a community, the greatest impact in a city, the greatest impact in a region. And listen, God is able to do that. You believe that? So if God is able... And it's not being done. Not that the fault lies with us, but the opportunity lies with us for God to really multiply through us and reach our community. Former pastor D. James Kennedy. I I, I love D. James Kennedy. He was a Presbyterian minister from Florida, and when I first saw him on television, I would just keep on flipping the channels because it was such a formality in the church, and and he talked in this rich tone, and and uh, I, I you know at that phase of life, I just really wasn't interested. But as I grew in my faith and, and, and grew in my understanding of Scripture, I used to love to hear D. James Kennedy uh, preach on television. At one time, he made, this, he made this well-known statement. He said, if you could win 1,000 persons for Christ every day, it would take over 10,000 years to reach the world for Jesus. Think about that for a second. If you and I, you were, let's say one person, if one person could reach 1,000 People a day for Christ. Wouldn't that be phenomenal? We call that revival. But to do that would take over 10,000 years to reach the whole world for Jesus. He went on to say this. But if you were able to win just one person to Christ each year and train that person to win one other person for Christ each year, how long would it take to win the whole world for Christ? Now think about that for a second. If, if, if I could win one person in a year, one whole year, one whole year, that's, that's, that's an easier task than 1,000 per day, isn't it? <laughs> one person in a year. And then disciple that person so that they are equipped to go out and they can win one person per year. So every year I'm going to win one person to Christ, they're going to come to faith in Jesus. I'm going to work with them and help them grow in their faith so that now they're able to go out and they can win one person for Christ in a year. Now, now now, think about this with me. The first year it would be one person. So me and that one person is two. The following year, how many people would it be? Y'all are smart, okay. The following people, it would be how many? Eight. The following year, it would be how many? Sixteen. <laughs> okay? The following year it would be how many? 32. And see, I, I thought well, I got about 30, I said, there's no way. Then I started doubling it 32 times. I don't have time to go into all that today. And, and, and listen, uh, here, here's what happens. Uh, how long would it take to win the whole world for Christ? 32 years. Wow. One person per year, it would take 32 years to reach the however many billions of people there are in the world right now. Why is that? Because of the power of Of multiplication. Acts chapter 5 and verse 14. More than ever, believers were added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women. Here's where I get confused with math. They've got addition and multiplication in the same sentence. But it works. Believers were added multitudes, multiples of both men and women. Acts chapter 6 and verse 7. The number of disciples multiplied greatly. Acts chapter 9 verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and of the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The church multiplied. Acts chapter 12 and verse 24. The Word of God increased and multiplied. Understand this. God is interested in numbers And God's interested in mathematical terms. God does not want to bring about subtraction. God does not want us to have division. God does want us to have addition. And when the Holy Spirit moves in great ways, there is multiplication. I'm going to tell you something. I'm praying for a move of the Holy Spirit. Not for the sake of Ridgecrest Baptist Church, but for the sake of the kingdom of God. What does it take to be a multiplying church? What does it take if, if 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 we want to be that kind of a church? If if God wants to 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 have that kind of a church, God wouldn't just say go multiply without telling us how, would he? Well, there's there's eight qualities of multiplying churches that I've just read you. I want to go back and spend just a little bit of time uh, on some of these this morning. Uh, for for example, uh, uh, churches multiply when complaints are handled correctly. People have good reasons to complain you ever complained about anything and it was the right thing they overcooked my food <laughs> it's too hot it's too cold those there's nothing wrong with with those issues so it's not that there is an issue but there's how we choose to, to, to handle it. For example, Acts chapter 6, the Hellenist widows were facing discrimination. Now here's here's what was going on behind the scenes. It's not uh, there, but but we understand it from, from history. that The Christian church had adopted the Jewish custom of what they called kupa or basket. And so every Sunday when the church would get together, they would receive a special offering for the needy. And then as the needy had needs, they would distribute the funds in the community to the church members so they could have bread to eat, so they could make it so they could carry on and so in this uh, situation the 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 Hellenists or the the non-Jewish Christians were facing discrimination from the from the Jewish Christians the the Jewish Christians were getting more and their widows were being tended to more than the Gentile or the Hellenist Christians and so so they were complaining about that I said, wait a minute. Somebody said, you know, it may have been a, a church business meeting. It may have been a, a deacon's meeting. It may have been a staff meeting with the church. And somebody said, listen, here's what's going on. They didn't. It didn't say they did it in an ugly way or a wrong way. They did it in a right way. Here's what's going on. I need to complain about something. There's a group over here that the church is, is, is ministering to, and there's being some neglect. There's being some neglect. So, 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 so the issue is, is how do we handle complaints in a Christ-honoring way? Here's some things to do to, 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 to complain rightly. One is bring it up. Bring it up publicly. Another is to talk about it. Let's talk about this situation. What's going on here? We have a, an issue of neglect taking place. What else can we do about it? We can pray about it. Let's pray and ask God to give us wisdom about this circumstance that we find ourselves in. And then let's make a plan. If, if the widows in this area are being neglected, let's make a plan to, to address the neglect. Is it a real issue? Yes. So let's, let's, let's address it and then execute the plan. And then listen, let's each of us do our part. If our part is to, to receive because we're, uh, we're needing food, then, then let's do our part. If our part is to give so that others in need can receive food, then, then we give. If our part is to help distribute, then let's make sure that, that we're doing our part in that regard. Here's what not to do with a complaint. Can I be honest with you? What not to do with a complaint? Don't start sharing it. You, you know this, right? Christians don't gossip. Right? Amen? Christians don't gossip, they share. And the phone call goes something like this. Hey, 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 Bubba, I, just, I, just, I, just want, I need to share something with you that's on my heart. Just between me and you. And so you share that to Bubba, and then Bubba calls Ralph, and then Ralph calls Freddie, and before you know it, it's all around on the phone line. So, so, so don't share it in secret, and, and don't stir up a division. Don't, don't lead a revolt. Don't come to church and, start, and start, start stirring all these things up. And this is, again, this is why I love Ridgecrest Baptist Church. These things don't happen at Ridgecrest Baptist Church. Praise the Lord for that. But don't do those things. Instead, address it in the right way. When you address complaints correctly, then you put yourself in a position for the church to multiply for the gospel. Secondly, multiplication comes uh, comes when ministry structures adjust to ministry needs. This is important. Multiplication comes when ministry structures adjust to ministry needs. What that means is, Multiplication can come when we adjust whatever we have to do with our structure, with how we do things, with with, with the schedule, with the program, with, with all the we adjust what we do and how we do it to meet the needs of the of the community, to meet the needs of the church, to meet the needs of of, of the spiritual things that are happening. Because in, in, in Acts chapter 6, whatever their current structure was, it was not working. Why how do we know it wasn't working? Because some of the folks were being neglected. So, so, so we need to change the structure. We need to, to, to make sure that, that we're doing things in the right way. And somebody said it this way. Either we need to change our structure in church or we lose ministry opportunities. We could, we could also say it this way. When we fail to change our structure, then we fail to meet needs of people. Now, here's the easiest thing in the world to do is have a structure and stay with it. I'm all in favor of that because it makes things easy. It keeps things streamlined. Uh, we do what we've always done. We, we started this way, and if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And all the other things that you've said like I have. But here's what I'm learning as age is kind of being more and more of a factor in my life. I'm learning that, that, that things change, and the only thing that's constant is that things change. You know that, right? Currently, we are in a tidal wave of culture change. The culture in America is changing phenomenally, it seems like, from day to day. And the structures in our culture are changing in an effort to meet the needs, in an effort to adapt, in all kinds of different ways. But I'm not talking about the culture changing. The church. Uh, the, the, the church is, is, is in this tidal wave of culture change. And three things are happening in the church that we need to be mindful of. The church across America, three things are happening. Churches are often clinging, clinging tightly to structures that no longer work. Churches are clinging to structures that were phenomenal a generation ago, but they're not working in this day. Churches are missing ministry opportunities. The voice of the church in the culture is diminishing. I don't know if you've noticed that or not, but we don't have the standing in culture. Culture's not listening to us as they have in the past. And thirdly, there are declining numbers of churches, declining attendance in churches, and the church is is declining in all kinds of ways, closing doors even when the population is multiplying. That's what's happening in America. There's a sign up there on the screen. You see that? That's one picture of what happens every single week in America. This year, 1,000 churches a month will close their doors. 1,000 churches a month will close their doors, and there'll be that kind of a sign in the front yard of a church. And uh, on the church sign it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Isn't that true? Yeah. But the church door is closed. Why? Partly because the structures have failed to keep up with the culture. Now listen, let me tell you something. Our foundations don't change. I want to be very clear. Our foundations don't change. This Word of God, it doesn't change. Where we stand doesn't change. But the structures of how we carry things out need to always be available to adapt and adjust to meet the needs of the culture. The, the standards of Scripture didn't change in Acts chapter 6, but they changed the structure in order to meet the needs. And that's when multiplication of the church really began to kick in. Thirdly, I want to point this out too, that the church multiplies when cultural differences are overcome. Uh-oh. When cultural differences are overcome. Now I don't know if you notice, you look around the room today, you look around in our, our second service out in the gym, you look around in our community uh, that we live in, and, and we're living in a culturally, ethnically changing world and community. And in the first century when the church began to take off and the Holy Spirit began to move and the church began to grow, they were finding there were people coming into the church that, that, that they weren't from around here. They don't talk like we talk. They they didn't grow up where we grew up. They don't know the customs that we do. They brought other customs into the church. And and it potentially could have caused much conflict. And in some situations in the first century and in every century since, including today, those types of differences cause all kinds of difficulty in a church. Among the Jews, there was oftentimes prejudice just within the Jews. And the prejudice in the Jewish community went, went like this. There were those who were born Jewish, culturally Jewish, traditionally Jewish, heritage Jewish, genetically Jewish, from Abraham Jewish, and then there were the converts to Judaism. They should be celebrating that people converted into Judaism. But oftentimes when people converted into Judaism, they didn't have the pedigree. They didn't have the the money. They didn't have the standing. They didn't have all the things that came with being Jewish. And so they were looked down on. They were being looked down on. And when when the church began, some of those same things were happening. There There were Jewish people that were the foundations of the Christian church. They had come to faith in Christ. And then Gentiles began to be reached, people from all over the world. And a phenomenal thing was happening, but they weren't like us. And so there was this opportunity for for division to take place. There was an opportunity for complaints to take place. There was was an opportunity to to shut down the growth of the church. There there, there were growing pains taking place in the church. And and one of the places where this is addressed is in the book of Galatians. Paul wrote to the churches of Galatia in Galatians 3.28. He said this, and it was earth shattering at the time. He said, There is neither Jew nor Greek as it relates to Jesus. You're Jewish, that's great, come to faith in Christ. You're a Gentile, a Greek, great, come to faith in Christ. You're not better than them, and you're not better than them. We're all equal in the gospel. There's neither Jew nor Greek. He says there's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. All are one in Christ Jesus. Well, there's growing pains in the church. And to be a church that's going to multiply, we've got to, to overcome any cultural differences. When, when folks move into Durham, North Carolina, uh, there used to be one certain, uh, one, one certain culture, one certain uh, geographic region, and now it's just changing every way you turn around. And if we're not willing to overcome cultural differences, we'll never be a church that can reach the community that God has put us in. Just in this area around here, if you've been here long at all, you know we're not, we don't look the same as a community that we did even a generation ago. So we, we need to be mindful of that. Well, fourthly, I want to point out to you that the churches multiply when the right people are involved in the right ministry. I have to catch myself not making the whole sermon right here, but I'll, 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 uh, uh, I'll try to get past that. When the right people are involved in the right ministry, this is so beautiful. When you find your place and I find my place of ministry and the Holy Spirit uses us individually then uses us together, oh, it's amazing how the church multiplies. It speaks of pastors here. Of pastors being devoted to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Two things. What's the job description of a pastor? Primarily, it is to be dedicated and devoted to prayer and the ministry of the Word. What is prayer? It's teaching about prayer It's participating in prayer, participating in private prayer, small group prayer, congregational prayer. It's teaching people uh, about prayer. It's it's engaging in prayer of all kinds. Engaging in prayer with people. Engaging in prayer for people. It's it's just a wide variety of spending time in the presence of God. One of the primary purposes uh, of ministers is to stand before God on behalf of the people. That's prayer, and then it is to stand before the people on behalf of God, and that's preaching. That's the ministry of the word. The pastor's two pronged ministry are those two things. And listen, it takes time. It takes time to pray. Can I get a witness this morning? It take, If if I mean I mean anybody can pray, and, and I can pray. I, I can I can give you. Uh, I can, I can pray with the best of them for thirty seconds. It's not a matter of, of, you know, do do we pray? Yes. But, But can you pray adequately as a pastor in 30 seconds? Well, the answer is no. Can you pray adequately as a pastor in 30 minutes? I don't think so. If I dedicate myself to God's calling on my life, I have to spend time in prayer. And out of that prayer, spend time in the ministry of the Word. What is the ministry of the Word? It is, it is preaching. It is teaching. It is training. It is evangelizing. It is equipping. And it is studying. Do you know what they call uh, pastors who, who uh, don't study during the week? Repetitious. <laughs> Every pastor's got a good one. But if all you get is my one good one, you may wonder if I, I had not given it to you yet. I'm, I know that's coming across some... <laughs> But if all I give you is my one good one, and next week i rephrase it and give you my one good one again, and my one go after, eventually you're going to say, he sounds like a broken record. The same thing every single week. Listen, the Word of God is so rich and it's so deep and it's so broad. And so to, to put time and effort into rightly preaching, teaching, training, evangelizing and equipping and studying, oh, it takes... It takes the effort and it takes the time. It's been said over and over again, and I found another place just this week, when pastors are overextended in ministry, when pastors are trying to do it all, the first thing they neglect typically is prayer and the ministry of the Word. The first thing pastors typically neglect when things get busy in ministry is the most important thing God's called them to do. Is it any wonder that so many churches have for sale signs in their front yards? If pastors are not able To put the time and effort into prayer in the ministry of the Word. John Piper said it this way. From the earliest time in the church, it was understood that the ministry of the Word required so much time and effort that those called to this ministry should be freed from other demands. In the Old Testament, it says about Ezra. Ezra 7 and verse 10. For Ezra set his heart on three things. When you set your heart on something, that is your that is that is it. Ezra set his heart to study the law of God, to do it, and to teach it. I love that. Study it, do it, teach it. Study it, do it, teach it. If you're teaching it and studying it, but you're not doing it, you're called a hypocrite. Study it, do it, teach it. Repeat. In 2 Timothy 2.15 it says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has... No need to be ashamed rightly handling the word of truth. So so everybody finding their place to, to get involved in ministry. there are the pastors and then, then there's members. They're, they're members of the church who are devoted to ministry and to service. To do the same things so, To learn the scriptures. To do the scriptures. To, to repeat uh, over and over again. And, and, and I would say it this way. That each of us, God has given each of us a unique shape. S-H-A-P-E. Again, another sermon. I'm going to put it in a nutshell right here. S-H-A-P-E for each one of us. S, spiritual gift. God has given you and I a spiritual gift. Each one of us as we know Christ, God has input into us through His Holy Spirit a gift to be used in ministry. H is heart. What is your heart? What is your passion? Where does your heart take you in ministry? Is it with, with preschool uh, folks? Is it with worship? Is it with adults? Is it with missions? Is it with our students? Whatever it might be, where does your heart take you? A is your ability. What can you do? You can have all the heart in the world, but if you can't do it, you don't need to be there. For example, as Al will tell you, I don't need to be in the choir. <laughs> I got the heart, Al. You know I got the heart. But it's it's important that I know what I can't do. Because now I know there's more possibilities of what I can do. P is personality. What's your personality like? Are you a person that needs to be alone? Or are you a person that can be in front of a crowd? That has a lot to do with it. And E, experience. What have have your experiences in life and in faith brought you to at this point? And how can you use them for the kingdom? Uh, I heard a story once. There were four church members. And these four church members were given a very important job in the church. The names of these church members were everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. Those were the names of the church members. And for this important job in the church, everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did. And as a result, everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could. (laughs) Find your place. Plug in. That's exactly what happened with these with these, uh, with these six men that were chosen to, to, to meet the needs of the church. They were all Gentiles. They were all Gentile Christians brought into the church and given this. Let me quickly wrap up with this. The church multiplies when there's peace. When there's peace with God and peace with each other. In Acts 9.31 The church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and it multiplied. When the church has peace. Number six. The church multiplies when the church is being built up. Built up in discipleship, leadership, and fellowship. When those things are happening in the church, the door is open for that church to multiply. Acts 9.31 So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria was being built up and it multiplied. Number seven, the church can multiply when there is the fear of the Lord. Acts 9.31 again. When there is awe, when there is reverence, and when there is worship. It says they were walking in the fear of the Lord and it multiplied, the church. And lastly, the church multiplies when there is the comfort of the Holy Spirit. When God's Spirit is at work in the church. Hmm. There's comfort, there's joy, there's strength, there's equipping, there's empowering, and there's guiding. Acts 9.31 says, walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit." It multiplied. You know know what's happening in so many churches today? So many churches are not multiplying. So many churches are not adding people to the church. So many churches are are in the midst of division of all kinds and not handling it correctly. Churches today are, are, are creating subtraction. And I want to tell you this morning, I don't want to be a part of division in the church. I hope you don't. I don't want to be a part of division in the church that leads to subtraction. I want to add to the multiplication of the church. I put that in your listening guide. I want to add to the multiplication of the church. Can you make that your prayer this morning? Your personal prayer? Lord, I want to add. Lord, me. Everybody else can do their thing, but Lord, I, in my circumstances, when when there's opportunity for subtraction, make me... Um, um, uh, an, an, an ambassador for addition to multiplication, Lord. When when there's when there are those that want to stir up division by sharing things and handling complaints in the wrong way, help me to add to the multiplication of the church, Lord. When the when the culture comes against us uh, all over the place and is trying to drive the message of the gospel out of the culture, help me to add to the multiplication of the church, Lord. I can't do it on my own. You know that, right? I can't do it. On my own. You can't do it on your own. Do you know how it happens? When God's Holy Spirit comes to His people who are carrying out these qualities in their church, that opens the door for God to multiply. The easiest thing to do in a church is nothing. The easiest thing to do in a church is nothing. And churches that do nothing eventually have for sale signs in their front yard. It's hard. It's hard to be a part of a church where all these issues are there. And it's so awesome when God moves in the midst of differences to multiply the ministry of the church. I'm praying that God will use me and that God will use you to add to the multiplication of the church. Let's stand together. If we can, we're going to sing. And as we sing, I just want to invite you, even as we're singing these words outwardly, just make it your prayer. Lord, I want, to, I want you to, to add to the church through me. Lord, I want you to use me to add to the multiplication of the church that Ridgecrest may be the church that you've called us to be, that, that, they, that they might not know the name of anybody at the church, but that the name of Jesus might be lifted up and glorified. Would you, would you just make that your prayer? And Lord, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is that I'm supposed to do, but, but I want to do my part. Help me know my part. Lord, help me know so that I might carry it out. Lord, I just pray and thank You for folks listening so attentively this morning. And I want to pray that You take now this time of of, of response that each of us may determine that, that we want to see You move. Lord, we don't want to just sit idly by and watch the church continue to decline. We don't want to sit idly by and just watch the culture uh, overpower the message of the Gospel. Lord, we want to pray that You would work in our hearts and lives and use each of us individually and us as a congregation of believers that the gospel may flourish in our midst and in through us to our community for the glory of our Savior Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen.